Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I'm here with co-host Joe Wolfon, and we are recording, I'd say, a special episode of Pound the Rock because we plan to do a Monday morning recording session. Uh, the same week as the trade deadline, instead of waiting until you know deadline Thursday or Friday when we're going to record again, obviously, to re- react to the deadline, we thought, you know what? Kyrie Irving wants to be traded. Let's do a Monday morning episode all about the latest chapter in the Kyrie saga, his latest trade demand. And we're still here recording on fr- uh, Monday morning, but we're recording not a not episode about Kyrie's trade demand, but rather the fact that he's already been traded. The Brooklyn Nets send Kyrie Irving, Markeith Morris to Dallas for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 unprotected first rounder, and 2027 and 2029 second rounders. A blockbuster the likes of which, you know, maybe some people thought we'd see before the deadline, but, you know, before Friday, no one thought it was going to be involving Kyrie Irving or the Nets in, in some way being a seller in a deal, although I don't think that necessarily means anything for the rest of their uh, deadline moves. But Wolfon, where are you at with this man? What uh, I got my thoughts on it, but I'll let you have the mic first here. Uh, well, your, your initial I mean, initial reactions when you see the deal, like oh, mm-hmm. too much, not enough, whatever. You know how you envision both teams playing and faring after this. Uh, that's a lot to unpack. Uh, I guess we'll just have to go through it piece by piece. We should probably start with the Dallas side of things, right? Yeah. I I think from their end, you know, my feeling about it is this is easily the best player that they could have gotten with the resources available to them. So from that perspective, it feels like something they kind of had to do. And then even then, I, I kind of waver on it because, yes, you get the sense that Luca is getting antsy and they need to placate him. And yeah, we've seen superstar players start to push their way out earlier and earlier into their contracts, but he's in the first year of a five-year deal, you know? Like, it really wasn't this super urgent situation, even if it did feel that way. So I don't know. Uh, I'm very much ambivalent. And I can talk myself into it being a, a good move or a bad move for any number of reasons. But like the fact that they made this move in year one of that five year pact to me does, you know, reek of desperation and signal perhaps their internal belief, maybe that they do need to start making Luca happier. Now, I'm not saying this move is going to accomplish that in the long term, but. I don't know. It is, it's just a, it seems like the kind of risk you take when like all your chips are on the table and it's like, maybe Luca's like in the second last year of his deal or something or last year. And you're like, man, we're, you know, at this point we don't have much left to lose. We just have to pull the trigger on something like this. To your point, it is very weird to take this bigger risk, not because of like what they gave up for what they got going in, just mostly because it's Kyrie. And now they've, you know, spent more of their bullets and they already didn't have many to begin with. So like... No, this is like their big swing. Right. That, but that's what, I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. So they've taken that risk on Kyrie Irving of all people. They've spent those bullets on Kyrie Irving of all players. Now, I would imagine that like 
they went to Luka at some point in the process. I don't think Luka Doncic found out they were, you know, looking to trade for Kyrie Irving on Twitter. But so I assume he had some, the way that Spencer Dinwiddie did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I would assume he had some sort of approval over this. But having said that, it's still to me just a giant risk to take this early in Luka's contract, and to me, a giant red flag that signifies the Mavs are actually quite concerned about how early into that deal, Luka might consider pushing himself out. I wonder how much of it had to do with them recognizing, wow, we really fucked up this Brunson situation and we need to make it right ASAP. Um, But again, it's like, you know, you can look at it in a vacuum, which none of these moves exist in a vacuum, but like you look at what they gave up and what they got in terms of raw talent. And it's almost a no brainer, you know, like again, I, Kyrie Irving is the most talented player by far mm-hmm. that they could have gotten with what they gave up. And that Lucas played with in his career. Given Absolutely. the stages and of their career, like he's played with different guys. How much time have we spent talking about how badly they need a, you know, a supplemental creator? And here they got, you know, the best one available. But we know, obviously, it's it's never as simple with Kyrie as how good he is at basketball. You know, he has now left or forced his way off of three teams on acrimonious terms, and he has played basically half his team's games over the last four years due to a combination of injuries, personal absences, and suspensions. And, you know, he reportedly asked out of Brooklyn because they wouldn't give him that full four-year max extension Uh, of about $200 million, which means the Mavs options basically boil down to giving him that max deal and everything that comes along with it or letting him walk for nothing in the offseason and having given up that unprotected pick and Dorian Finney-Smith, a hugely important part of their defense, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who, you know, is not on Kyrie's level as a creator, but has been pretty solid since coming over to Dallas, and both of those guys having term left on their deals as well. And I know, you know, I've seen some people say, well, even if Kyrie walks, they can open up a decent amount of cap space. But like, they can't even get to max space, even yeah. if they renounce, like they would have to renounce Reggie Bullock um, and pretty much anybody else uh, with like a, you know, an option or a non-guarantee on their deals just to open up like sub-max space to do what exactly? You know, like maybe go and get Chris Middleton, I I think it's kind of, if he does walk, I I think it's a disaster. Like, I don't think there's really any salvaging it. So I think it might be a disaster whether he walks or doesn't or resigns. Well, that's the thing. So they're sort of backed in this corner where they do probably have to give him that max deal or at least something close to it. Like, it might come to a situation where he looks around the league and he's like, you know, I'm going to get my bluff called here because there aren't any teams out there that have the space or the willingness to actually put that deal on the table. So I'm going to have to take whatever the Mavs offer me. Or he'll retire. That's maybe, de- that's maybe dependent on the Lakers, right? Like they could open yeah. up that space in theory to sign him. So maybe yeah. just having that one team out there that's willing to do it is enough to get the Mavs to give him the full boat. Um but so that's that's the situation that, you know, the corner that I guess that the Mavs have backed themselves into where those are their two options. Um, so it's undeniably a huge risk. And I kind of still think they had to do it. 
Like, I just don't think that they were really going anywhere as previously constructed. And even if Luca was, you know, or is in the first year of that five-year contract, he was clearly getting antsy. They needed to find, uh, you know, a co-star for him. And I think making this big bet on upside, which I think, you know, like this deal gives them like the highest possible ceiling even at the risk you know of the really low floor and everything that could go wrong here i still think it makes sense like their offense has a chance to be absolutely special Kyrie can really keep that offense afloat when luca's off the court the nets this season had a 120 offensive rating with Kyrie on and kd off so like that just it gives them a luxury that they haven't had really at any point. I mean, like Brunson's been great, but again, Kyrie is just sort of like a different in a different tier as a creator. And when those two are on the floor together, like it's not a perfect fit because both of those guys sure do like to hold on to the basketball. Uh and and Luca to this point in his career hasn't been all that great as an off-ball player. Like, the Mavs have really started to do a lot of different things with him off the ball in terms of, like, him starting possessions off of the ball, and he'll kind of come up out of the corner, and they'll run some DHOs with him and get him the ball that way mid-possession. But it's not... That's not the same as him sort of, like, relocating or forming up off of drives or spotting up or cutting or the things that, like, he would have to do in order to maximize the possessions where Kyrie is on ball. But the, the reverse of that, like Luca having the ball and Kyrie playing off the ball exactly. would be really, really effective. Um, I think he, Kyrie's only shooting 38% on catch and shoot threes this season. But over the last, like his tenure with the Nets, I think he's up at like 42% on catch and shoot threes. So that's a huge weapon. And then like the prospect of running, you know, Luca, Kyrie, inverted pick and roll, where you're just putting the defense in such a bind because they're not going to want to switch it. But if they put two on the ball, then Kyrie is just jetting into open space and can either knock down that catch and shoot three or attack off of the catch in a way that, you know, Dallas has been running those inverted actions with like Tim Hardaway Jr. as a screener. And when it's Kyrie, that's obviously just a much, much different dynamic and a much bigger challenge for the defense. So I think the offense is going to be incredible and it really has to be for this to work the way the Mavs need it to, because the defense is definitely going to be an issue now with Vinny Smith out the door. Yeah, It was 24th ranked before Kyrie Irving walked in the door. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you in that. I think everyone, Well, it's not about, it's more about Vinny Smith going out the door. Let me rephrase that. The Mavs were the 24th ranked defense in the league this season before Kyrie Irving replace Dorian Finney-Smith and, to a lesser extent, Spencer Dinwiddie in the rotation defensively. I'm with you, and I think everyone's with you, obviously, in the fact that the offensive upside is elite, and that's putting it mildly. Like, they can be as good as any team in the league offensively. But can they be good enough offensively to overcome just these glaring defensive deficiencies. We talked about it with the Nuggets a few weeks back. And, and you know, we mentioned how, like, maybe, maybe if there's ever a season where you don't actually have to be really good defensively to win because you don't have to live up to the traditional benchmarks of, you know, past NBA champions, this would be it. Just because of how kind of, like, 
upside down the season is and how wonky it is and the, the parody and all that and the balance. And I, you know, I stand by that. That is possible. But as I also mentioned in that episode, only two teams this century have won a title outside the top 10 defensively. And one of them was 11th and that was the KD Warriors. The other one was the 22nd ranked Lakers defense that still had Shaq and Kobe. And once the playoffs came around, did not look like a bottom 10 defense and went 15 and one in the playoffs. Overall, in the entire history of the NBA, only twice has a team won a championship with a below league average defense. So like, even if I see like best case scenario offensively, this thing just hums beautifully and teams, you know, even when it looks maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing, teams just still find it impossible to stop them because of the options available to a team that have has Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. But even when I think best case scenario on the offensive end, like, you know, even when you compare them to a team like the Nuggets, I don't even think the Mavs have the defensive infrastructure of a team like the Nuggets. They certainly don't have the defensive infrastructure of a team like the Nets who were able to cobble together a solid defense despite having Kyrie Irving on the floor. Like, what's Dallas's best lineup now? Kyrie Irving, Josh Green, Luka Doncic. I mean, I, I'd still... Probably Wood, probably Wood and Kleba. Yeah, Wood and Kleba. So you're going to have... You know, Wood, who I've, you know, all season been a bigger fan than most. I still loved his fit with Luka. You know, he's not a defensive big man. I think he's made some strides on that end, but he's not a defensive big man. You're going to have Kyrie, Luka, and Christian Wood on the court as part of your best lineup. Like, what is the ceiling for this team defensively? Is it just being, I was going to say, is it being like slightly below average? I don't even think they can get there with their best lineup on the court. Yeah, Finney Smith was just really instrumental for them, especially in terms of his versatility, right? Like if they if they were playing like Memphis and needed somebody to guard Ja, then Finney Smith is the guy who would tackle that assignment. You know, like he could guard point guards, but if they needed to stick him on a bigger wing, they could do that as well. And now I you know, I I guess, you know, Josh Green is the guy that you could stick on like a dangerous opposing guard. And then Kleba could be your sort of big wing stopper. And we have seen in the past, they've used him as like the primary on Kawhi types. And he's done reasonably well in that role. But then, you know, they also need Kleba to be their rim protector because outside of him, I mean, I guess if you're playing him and Powell together, then that can work. But, you know, this actually brings me to a big question I have about this, which is what does it mean for... Christian Wood's future in Dallas because on the one hand if they are just going to pony up to keep Kyrie you know on a new max or near max deal then you know that answers the question about like what their cap space situation is going to be moving forward that's no longer a consideration and it seems like a big part of the reason they've been reluctant to extend Wood is that they wanted to keep the cap space avenue open but if they you know they have Kyrie now so they don't need to bother with the you know free agency stuff and cap space is immaterial, then maybe that makes them more likely to extend him or just, you know, use his bird rights and talk in the off season about keeping him longer term, but also in terms of the fit and like the things we're talking about, yes, offensively, fantastic fit. Like that that three man nucleus, Kyrie, Luca, Christian Wood, devastating offensively. But then you're talking about, you know, your best offensive lineups having three, you know, clear minus defenders on the floor at the same time. And I guess, you know, look, Kyrie, when he really dials it in, 
and cares for his position is actually probably closer to neutral defensively. Yep. Um, but it's about consistency with that, right? And I don't know how often you're going to get that version of Kyrie at that end of the floor. So I think that is going to be an issue, right? Like the two-way balance is going to be tough to navigate. And, you know, the hope is obviously going to be that they can be so good offensively, so difficult to stop that, you know, their defense just has to be good enough, you know, and maybe they are... Look, when we were talking about the Nuggets a few weeks back, you were like, if ever there was a team, you know, that could be, well, not if ever, because you mentioned like the the 01 Lakers and right. the 1718 Warriors. You know, the 1718 Warriors were 11th and 2001 uh, Lakers were uh, 21st. But obviously, like those were two teams that kind of coasted through the regular season and showed in the playoffs that they could ratchet it up. Like, I think both of them actually were the number one playoff defenses in the yes. year they won the championship. And- both of those were like historically great teams, like with historically great collections of talent. Like, right. Even as good as you think the Kyrie Doncic offensive duo is, Doncic, Kyrie, and this roster does not compare to the 01 Lakers or the 2018 Warriors. Right. So when we were talking about the Nuggets a few weeks back, you were like, if, if ever there was a season where there could be a team that broke that mold, it might be this year where everything is kind of wide open. There isn't one dominant team. And so, you know, we were talking about how good the Nuggets offense was and how their defense had improved to the point that we could see it being good enough. You know, maybe this is the year where, you know, Dallas can just be so overwhelming offensively. And even if they're like a 20th ranked defense and they basically remain that because I don't think they have it in them to ratchet it up to the level that like that Warriors and Lakers team did in the playoffs. You know, they can remain a below average defense and still, you know, score their way to a championship. It's possible. I don't, I wouldn't consider it likely, but again, I come back to this being almost a necessary gamble for them to just say, you know, we're going all in, in the hopes that, you know, this, this on-court pairing can work in a way that satisfies Luca and for at least a couple of years, because there is always a bit of a, honeymoon phase with Kyrie where you know a team gets like his first couple years and I guess first couple years he was only in Boston for two years right yeah so (laughs) but but I mean he was his first couple weeks in Boston when he had that event with a season seed holders went real great (laughs) so yeah didn't you say he wanted to he was gonna have his numbers in the rafters at at the garden yeah, his whole thing was like, oh, I know there's like talk about my, you know, my next contract, whatever, but like, don't worry, like, I'm going to be here. I want to be here. And I'm not, listen, but, but for all of Kyrie's faults, I'm not holding him changing his mind about, you know, his playing like professional future against them. But I just do mm-hmm. think it's funny that that happened, that he said, didn't he say he would never leave seven or something? Like, he, he was going to stay beside Kevin Durant. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. Like, he's, he's said a lot of things, even outside of the stupid things he said like separated from his basketball career, obviously, even when it comes to basketball, he said a lot of things that just end up being very fraudulent. And also, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see the, the side-by-side of the Gary Washburn and Chris Haynes tweets? No. So Chris Haynes tweeted yesterday about how uh, Kyrie's reaction to this trade is that he's like, um, like quote unquote thrilled to play with Luca and I think like excited to work whatever with the Mavs. And then people notice that it is literally word for word 
the exact same tweet, but replace like Luca and the Mavs with like Celtics and Brad Stevens from 2017 when Gary Washburn tweeted Kyrie's reaction to going like going to Boston. Yeah. Point is, there could still be, you know, however brief it is, a honeymoon period where the on-court fit really sings and it looks like it's going to be a super fruitful partnership. And it may not last, but, you know, maybe they're just, look, if it's a two-year window and that just gives them a chance to compete for a championship in that two-year window and they kind of figure it out from there, it's, I don't know, it, it feels like a justifiable gamble to me. But, you know, and if we want to use this as a segue to look at it from the Nets perspective and the, the deals they passed up in order to take the Dallas package, it sure seems like they're banking on this going sideways and Luca eventually pushing his way out and that 2029 unprotected Mavs pick being a more valuable long-term asset than anything they could have gotten, you know, from the Lakers or the Suns. If I was a betting man, I would wager that Lakers leak is more Palenka in the front office, perhaps trying to appease LeBron. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers were like, oh, can we get it out there that we offered those two first just to appease LeBron and like make it. So I'm not convinced they actually put, but from Phoenix's perspective, there would be no interest from the Suns perspective in leaking that offer because why would you want Chris Paul to know that he was just almost traded? So I would believe the Suns package more than the Lakers package, even though I think the Suns package is more nonsensical from a Phoenix standpoint. If that was really on the table, one, I think the Suns are nuts. Two, then the Nets are nuts, in my opinion, for choosing Dinwiddie and Finney Smith and the Mavs pick over Paul Crowder and the Suns pick. Because there was the report too, I think from, was it Mark Stein, that one of Joe Sy's objectives was just to not send Kyrie to his preferred landing spot, which was the Lakers. But the Suns weren't that. Like, unless, I don't know, maybe the Suns were high on his list too, and Joe Sy said no to that. But like, as much as I enjoy that pettiness and would not, you know, be opposed to someone trying to make Kyrie's professional life more difficult, given some of the things he's done and said, at the end of the day, if you're running a basketball team or you own a basketball team, you got to put the pettiness aside and take the best offer for your team, like do the best business you can. And if an offer of Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, and a a future Suns pick was on the table, I think that was the best offer. And still, like, you're still competing for a championship with those guys around Kevin Durant this season while still banking, you know, a future pick for a team that, you know, you don't know what the future's going to look like. That could bear some pretty tasty fruit. Yeah, I mean, if we take for granted that that Lakers offer was on the table, where they could have gotten both the Lakers first rounders, I can still see the reasoning for turning that down because that deal, like the reporting was that the Lakers offered Westbrook and those two picks, and the Nets countered by wanting that, along with Austin Reeves, Max Christie, and like a couple of swaps, which is just... Like, if that's true, then that probably gives credence to the fact that Joe Sy just didn't want to send him to the Lakers to begin with, because that feels kind of outrageous. But if it was just Westbrook and the two picks, as valuable as those two picks could ultimately wind up being, I can understand the Nets saying, this does nothing for us in the present, and is probably just going to hasten Kevin Durant's eventual departure. And so... 
you know, we still want to try and win now. You know, we still want to try and keep Kevin Durant here and, you know, like try and win a championship this season or next. And this does nothing for us in that respect. So I can understand that being the reason that they said no to the Lakers. Harder to understand why they would say no to the Suns if that's their objective, right? Because I think Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, and we haven't seen Jay Crowder play basketball in a really long time. So so who knows? But just Chris Paul on his own, like I think that's the single piece that helps you the most in the present. So if I was them and that was my objective, I think that's the package I would have taken. But I guess they felt like, given what we just said about how they probably valued that Mavs pick, thinking that Luka's eventually going to leave, this package was maybe the one that split the difference where Dinwiddie and Finney Smith can really help them in the present. Uh, And, you know, in terms of, like, if they see KD being here for the life of his contract, then it probably makes a difference that those guys are way younger than Chris Paul. Finney Smith is under contract for at least two more years after this one uh, at like a really team friendly price. Dinwiddie's got one more year left on his deal at like pretty fair value, I would say. And so that, uh, you know, maybe they look at that and say, you know, this makes more sense than getting 38 year old Chris Paul. Who's and final plus two. we have the super valuable first rounder in the bag as well. So I, yeah. I, I think Paul's- maybe, CP's final two years of his deal are actually non-guaranteed. Like next year, I believe is partially guaranteed. The season after that is completely non-guaranteed. So CP's not as kind of locked in, but I looked at it the opposite way. It's like, wouldn't they actually prefer that? Because Chris Paul can still be like, not as a creator. And I guess that is the difference between him and Dinwiddie at this point of Chris Mm. Paul's career. Like Dinwiddie is definitely more of a, like a self creator than Chris Paul is at this point in their careers. But I'd still say on balance, Chris Paul is the, like the more impactful player right now, just for this season. I have no doubt about it. Right. So the way I saw it, because I get what you're saying about if they're going to keep KD for the life of his contract, you get these guys with term and more upside. But I'm looking at it the opposite way where like, I feel like you have to consider the fact that KD might want out. He might want out right now. But even if you say, no, we're going for it this year. We still think we can win with you. At some point, you just can't keep him. Like if he's really that unhappy, even if he shows up, I don't know. At some point, you do have to hit reset and like start this thing over again and have to trade KD. And if that's the case, and you are kind of looking at this season as should be your true all-in year, and you just traded Kyrie, you have Chris Paul and whatever's left of Jay Crowder around KD. You can definitely still compete in the short term. You get the better player between Chris Paul and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like I said, that 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 Suns future pick could be good too. And you have an out for the immediate future. Because if you do say, you know what, we are going to end up having to trade KD. He wants out. Whatever happened this year happened. We're moving them. We're starting over again. Then you can get off of Chris Paul's contract and pivot a lot quicker. Also, you know, quietly, between the uh, Harden-Simmons deal and now this deal with Kyrie, the Nets quietly are recouping some draft capital. They got some picks in that Philly deal. I mean, one of them was still like they get between uh, the their own pick, the Philly pick, and I can't remember, there's like a third team in there too. The Nets basically get like the second best of the three, but that's better than nothing. They have a Philly pick in 2027, I believe. Now they've got, you know, the, the second rounders from Dallas plus the 2029. First, like they are slowly recouping some draft capital. And I just think it would have behooved them, you know, you get Chris Paul, who's the best player available in any of these trade 
reported trade offers for Kyrie to help KD still win this year. But he's got this non-guaranteed future contract where then you can get off him if you need to trade KD. And if if you don't need to trade KD, then you don't get off of Chris Paul. And I get that's where it gets concerning because then he's like 39, making a lot of money. But I just think that Suns deal, if it was really on the table, which I think it was, because like I said, there's no reason for the Suns to leak that offer, seemed like the best of both worlds where like it gave them many more options than the deal they ended up taking from Dallas, which yeah, to me is more tied to like, we're just in it for the long haul with KD. And I don't think they can assume that even though they do have them under contract. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Like, I think if, if it doesn't work and KD does, you know, basically put his trade request or demand back on the table in the off season, they'll still have some flexibility to like, if they want to flip Finney Smith, he'll still have a lot of value on that contract. Like they can start over or they can keep him like it's, this is about, I mean, yeah, we we can quibble over whether we would have taken the Suns package or the Mavs package, but you know, that's given the circumstances about as well as I could have imagined them doing in this kind of a trade. And I guess the problem with that is like, you know, we said the same thing about, the Harden trade at last year's deadline, where we were like, yeah, they were backed into a corner and they made out pretty well under the circumstance. Now, obviously, with Ben Simmons playing the way that he's played and whatever physical and you know mental roadblocks remain and are you know preventing him from getting back up to the level that he played at as a 76er, that trade looks way worse in retrospect than it did at the time. But just in general, it's... Yeah, we can say, wow, they, they made out pretty well given the circumstances but like now that that's happened twice you know you've you've taken this team that you know looked like a super team and looked like the best team in basketball a couple years ago before uh injuries railroaded them in that series against the bucks and you've reduced them to you know more of like a fringy contender and that i mean that is what it is you know they they made their bed and they they staked it all on these three you know, fairly volatile personalities. And uh, now they're paying the price, I guess. But, you know, I guess, look, they, they did what they could under the circumstances. And I, they're still going to be a good team uh, as long as KD stays healthy. I just think it's going to be interesting because they also went from being this team that was all offensive firepower and was just going to sort of have to find a way to patch things together on defense to now, like, a really defense-oriented team, right? Like, that's what they're going to have to rely on if they're going to win in the playoffs and then hope that KD and I guess Spencer Dinwiddie can carry them offensively. Like, is there another move uh, in them though? hmm? Is there another move to make given that we, you know, I just did bring up some of this draft capital that they've recouped over their last two blockbusters, put some of that on the table, some salary filler. Like, I don't know. Could they, could they get in the market for, I don't know, for insert. like a Zach, like a Zach Levine. Is that wow, the kind I mean, of that, you'd be yeah, hell, at? even that like probably bigger than I was thinking. But yeah, like if they were to do that, I I just don't think they're done. Yeah, that's very possible. Uh, and I do think if they are looking to add, then they need to add probably more offensive punch. You know, more yeah. shot creation and shot making because it's going to be a lot okay. on KT's plate now. Here, here's a question for you. Yeah. Don't know how interested you actually are in answering this, but 
just because of like the way we've talked about each team, like the, the Mavs have kind of now gone all in on offense and the net, not that they've gone all in in defense. Like they still have Kevin. No, Friggin, they kind of right? have. No, no. But what I mean is, but they still have Kevin Friggin to write. Like we're not talking about a team who's going to like struggle completely to sc- like, it's a pretty good safety valve to have Kevin Durant on your team. But in terms of supporting casts for KD, they've kind of gone all in on defense now. Yeah. But they're deeper. And as good as Luka is, as like much of an all-time great as he's becoming, if if everyone's healthy and you just say you have one game right now, everyone's healthy, I might still say Kevin Durant's the best player between the two teams. I might. So... If these two teams were to match up right now in a playoff series, like they they won't. I don't think no. either. No, I think the, the more interesting question is like which of these teams is better built to win in the playoffs? Right. Right. Which yeah. Which which of these two teams is better off? If we're strictly talking about the 2023 championship race, not about the future outlook and you know what like is Luca going to leave and what, just this season? Yeah. Which team is better built to win the 2023 championship? You know, whether, whether even, even if Brooklyn. the best teams of these two only has a 2% chance, like what is it? You, I agree. I think it's the Nets. Brooklyn. Yeah. I still think it's the Nets. And that is a very interesting way to look at this. Cause if you're the Mavs, like you got the most talented player in this deal, but I still think you're the least equipped team to win of the two teams that, like in this deal. Yeah. And they might not be done dealing either, Fair. but yeah, got as presently deep- constructed, I do think that's the case. And I think, you know, you mentioned depth, right? Like mm-hmm. the maps are not deep. Like, the, you know, their bench is, I think, going to be a pretty significant issue. And they are just kind of stocked with one-way players now. And it's going to be tough for them to find the right lineup constructions to make this all work to its maximum capability. Whereas I just think in terms of lineup construction and making things work at both ends of the floor. Like the Nets kind of have more options available to them and are just going to have an easier time mixing and matching uh, to find the right lineups. And, you know, Luca is a trump card offensively in much the same way that KD is. And, you know, you also have, like if teams are really gearing up to stop KD in the playoffs and just like sending multiple bodies at him and daring other players to beat them, then... You know, KD doesn't have the passing chops that Luca does to punish that type of defensive coverage. So offensively, like, you know, it definitely tilts heavily towards Dallas. But like if, you know, like the Nets can just surround KD with defensive specialists and the Mavs can't really do that with Luca. Like they just don't even have enough of those guys to fill those lineups out. Like I guess they could go, you know, throw out like Luca. Bullock, Josh Green, Kleba, and Powell. Like, that's their best defensive lineup, right? Do we think Luka can make that lineup viable offensively? You know, or Luka and Kyrie together? You know, let's say they're out there with with Green, Kleba, and Powell. Can that be good enough offensively and good enough defensively? Um, You know, versus, say, uh, a lineup where you have Katie, Joe Harris... Um, Royce O'Neal, uh, Claxton, and then I don't know. You could put anyone, I guess, you want at the four. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I th- I think I'm leaning Brooklyn. I do. I am too. No, I'm I'm strongly leaning Brooklyn. 
I'm strongly leaning Brooklyn. Um, but that doesn't I, like I, that doesn't mean this was a bad move for no. Dallas necessarily. But no, I think it will be in the end because they traded for Kyrie Irving. But <laughs> on no, but in a vacuum and on its on the surface, I'm with you in that it's probably the best they could do. It's definitely the best they can do from a talent upgrade, no doubt about it. Um, but we know how this usually ends when it <laughs> trades for Kyrie Irving. We got a few minutes left. Did you quickly? want to touch on the fact that Steph Curry is out for a few weeks. Um, I know it's not the kind of topic you usually want to handle in a few minutes, but I feel like we're here, we're podcasting. It's not the main topic for today, but we still kind of have to mention it. He suffers this very rare, um, from NBA standards, uh, lower leg injury that is going to have him out a few weeks. Now, Jeff Stotts, who everyone should be following if you follow the NBA, runs instreetclothes.com, does great work. Mm -hmm. He's a trainer who uh, uses... NBA history and it, like injuries in NBA history to kind of try to put together um, a timeline for players and and what their recovery probably looks like and their return from injury and stuff. He noted that the only comparison he could find similar injury to what Steph Curry just uh, suffered was Marcus Smart back in 2015-16 and he ended up sidelined for 37 days, just over five weeks. He missed 18 games. Now, I think with Curry, there's like he'll be reevaluated in a few weeks and a, a official time uh, timetable still yet to be determined. But if it's in the three to five week range, like Marcus Smart was more like five, if it's in the three to six week range, He's going to miss a lot of games, man. And the Warriors are in seventh. They're obviously in that morass we've talked about in the West where like they could finish anywhere from frigging third to 13th. But you take Steph out of the lineup now, they are in serious, serious danger. I like, they're going to, I think their chances of, well, first of all, finishing close to third, I think are toast. I think their chances of playoffs proper, like top six might be toast. And they're looking at just trying to, stay afloat in the play-in picture now, depending on how long Steph's out. I noted this on Twitter last night, but now I think they are, if they weren't before, they are officially now in the danger zone of being the first defending champion in 24 years since the 98-99 Bulls to miss the playoffs. Those Bulls famously missed the playoffs because they went from having one of the greatest teams ever, arguably the greatest team ever, to losing Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Robin, and Phil Jackson between seasons. So the Warriors look like they could be the first defending champion since those Bulls to miss the playoffs. And the only other defending champions to ever miss the playoffs were the 1969-70 Celtics. So Warriors wading into uncharted territory here as defending champions. They are very much at risk of missing, missing the playoffs if you know Steph is kind of on the long end of that three to six week timeline I said. Yeah, and it's not like they've played at this blistering pace when Steph's been healthy. And so we can look at it and be like, okay, they just have to ride it out until Steph gets back. They'll go on a heater to end the season and they'll be fine. Uh, I think the best they can hope for at this point is they're in the play-in and maybe they're in like, you know, eighth where they don't have to win two road games just to make it into the playoffs. You know, like that's kind of, what we're looking at now, I feel like. And okay, so his last absence that he had, he missed 11 games. They went six and five. I know. Like, that's what they should, that, that's a realistic target to me where you're like, okay, can we tread water and hover around 500? And that should keep them in that mix for, you know, like seven, eight, nine seed type of thing. It's going to be really interesting because you look at their next slate of games, it's like almost all against 
the teams that are in that morass that we've talked about so many times, all those teams bunched up between like four and 13. That's like all the teams they're playing over this next month and change when Steph's presumably going to be out. So it's either going to be a chance for them to make up ground and like put some separation between themselves and those teams or for the inverse to happen. Or I guess, you know, the middle ground where they just sort of continue to tread water. But I don't know, man. Like I, it's, it's definitely getting dire for them in one way or another. Like I was sort of past the point of thinking about them as a contender anyway, just because they couldn't manage to fully get it together, even when Steph was in the lineup. And, you know, they had made the somewhat curious move to that, like that lineup that we had talked about so many times, the, the starting lineup with Kevon Looney in it that had been demolishing teams. Steve Kerr went away from that and was starting the smaller lineup with Draymond at center and Jordan Poole playing alongside those guys, you know, maybe in some part to, to like juice the offense at the start of games, but also maybe to like give their bench a little bit more of a defensive foundation. Uh, But nothing has seemingly worked in terms of getting them back up to the level that we saw them play at last season. Like, they would kind of plug one hole and spring a leak somewhere else. And it's just been going that way all year. And we haven't really seen them hit the highs they hit last year on either side of the ball. So yeah, I don't know. I think they'll ultimately like Steph will come back and they'll be able to hang on to a, a play in spot. And like in, in a play in scenario, like we're, you know, it's going to be hard to bet against them against some of the teams that they're presumably going to be playing. So I, if I was betting, I would still say they wind up in the playoffs proper, but as far, far from a guarantee at this point in time. Yeah. If, if you guaranteed me, Steph, you know, it was only out a few weeks, I'd probably say, you know what, they get in the play in, they, they play their way into the playoffs and then they'll probably have dug themselves too much of a hole to win three rounds starting on the road for, you know, three to four rounds starting on the road. But I don't know, man. That's like best case scenario. And I think just the way the season has gone and I'm at the point now where I think they're going to miss the playoffs. I just think. So you, okay. So you said smart missed 18 games. Yeah. The Jeff Stotts article was that the only comparable injury. Yeah. Marcus Smart missed 37 days. So just over five weeks. And that ended up being 18 games, but you take the all-star break. The all-star break. Yeah. Yes. But just say, say, um, so Steph suffered the injury on. Saturday, February 4th. Uh, even just say five weeks, 35 days from then would be March 11th. You know, that's three, six, nine, twelve. 12. That's him returning from March 11th. That's still missing 14 games, man. Yeah, you know? and that, now, leaves, that leaves 15 games exactly. left in if the he, If he only misses three weeks, you know, that's only seven games. That's a huge difference. Massive difference. So again, it just kind of depends on uh, the timeline here, but they're definitely up against it. Just considering the fact yeah, that worth you know, noting when that happened to smart, he would have been like 10 years younger than Steph is now. Also a fair point. So, you know, even to, yeah, I, I'm saying three weeks on the short end, based on the initial timeline, the Warriors gave versus five weeks thinking of the Marcus smart injury, five weeks might not even be the upper end of the timeline. We don't know. It could be longer. So de- they're definitely up against it. And I would just think because of how much uncertainty there is, with his timetable to return and where they are in the standings. That's why I think I actually think the safer bet at this point might be that they're just going to miss the playoffs. Really wonder what they wind up doing at the deadline now too. Yep. One of my last two unfiltered episodes on the scores YouTube page was about how 
you know, there are some teams who can play it cute in terms of two timelines. The Warriors need to abandon their, because they're not that team that can do that. Just given the fact everything revolves around Steph Curry being Steph Curry and your chances of ever being as good or as close to contention without Steph Curry compared to with them are infinitesimal. You just go in all like right now, take advantage. You're supposed to be light years ahead. You know, yeah, you've won four championships in eight years, but if, you know, this relentless pursuit of championships, the Warriors will have, so you should be pushing for a fifth. Four shouldn't be good enough when you have Steph Curry. And now I do wonder. I, Is I it probably, worth pushing all in for this season exactly. when they, they might only have 15 games left with Steph being healthy? Exactly. Yes. Ag- agreed. My take aged horribly in the span of 72 hours. But such is life. When you cover the fastest moving league in the world, your takes can age very quickly. Case in point, at one point in that uh, in that video, I can't remember what I mentioned about the Nets and the picture we showed was Kyrie Irving. So there you go. Talk about aging poorly. Uh, that's it for us today. We wanted to do a rapid, uh, bit of a rapid pod for you to capitalize on the, the Kyrie trade and to a lesser extent, the Steph news. Uh, we both got to jet out of here. So no fan shout out today, but we, we do have two or three banks. So when we return for our trade deadline extravaganza show, whether that's Thursday night or Friday morning afternoon, I promise we will include a fan shout out in there. But yeah, we'll be back later this week to talk about what should be a wild week and deadline now that the Kyrie domino has already fallen. Until then, for Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock.